0: This episode is brought to you by The Wellness Summit, the one day that's going to change your life. For more information, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com.
1: Thewellnesscoach.com, streaming
0: wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat, featuring
1: Cindy O'Meara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison.
0: chat about the hottest topics that are important to you. I'm Karen Smith, I'm Kim Morrison and I'm Cindy O'Meara. And welcome to this week's podcast. Now, you know, this week we've had some pretty serious debate about what we were going to be talking about because we've got so many different topics and subjects that we're so passionate about and we've got so much information that we want to share with you. So the general consensus today has been about the power of habit. Now, we all know that, you know, we've got really positive habits and we've also got habits that are not quite so positive. You know, there are habits that really don't serve us and I think those are the ones that we really want to focus on today because I think that you know for ourselves as individuals and I know that you girls agree with me for ourselves as individuals as well as for our listeners You know, the habits that are great, that serve us, that make us feel good, that enhance our experience of life, you know, that's, those are the habits we want to keep. We don't want to, we don't want to get rid of those. We want to keep those. In fact, we actually want to create more of them. And I think that between the three of us, we've actually got the skill and the ability to be able to share how we can create really empowering, positive habits that I guess serve us not just now, but into our futures. And I think that's really important. But I really want to start off, I guess, talking about habits and where they come from, because what we try to do, and I was just at at an event over the weekend, and I had this really um, gorgeous older guy come up and talk to me. You know, he was in his 80s, late 80s, and he came up to me and he said to me, oh, he said, are you the motivational speaker for this event? And I said, yes, 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 I am. I've been brought in to get everybody, you know, pumped and excited about life. And at 89 years old, this man says to me, he says, you know, everybody gets on the stage and talks about skill. Everybody gets on the stage and talks about the logic and the skill and the step-by-step, you know, sequences and methods to be able to create success. He said, but nobody actually gets up and talks about the mindset that's required to be successful. And he said to me, it's 80-20, you know, Karen. He said it's 80% mindset and willingness to be present and presence of mind. He said, the other 20% is the how-to. And you know, it struck me. It struck me like a lightning bolt because I thought, you know, we, most of us, we know that intellectually, but we never really articulate it. And we never really hold ourselves accountable for, particularly when it comes to habits, we don't hold ourselves accountable for the mindset that's going to both break a habit or create a new one. We just see somebody slim, And think, oh my goodness, I want to be like her. Or we see somebody who has great health and we think we want to be like them or we want to eat the same way that they do. I've been guilty of it myself. I look at... I look at Kim, and and I want to be like Kim when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) I've started my running. I really have. And I look at Kim, and I think, well, wow, okay, so what does she do every morning when she wakes up, and what does she eat every day? And I think about what she actually does more than I think about who she is while she's doing what she's doing. Mm -hmm. What's the mindset between and behind who she is that makes her this fit goddess of
1: spunkinessity? (laughs) <laughs> They're <It's> so gorgeous,
0: <laughs> but it's you know it, it's it's that that we look at. I guess it's what life presents us with in terms of contrast to what we actually have that makes us realise that our habits are not necessarily serving us, not necessarily good for us. Mm. You know, you look at somebody who's addicted to heroin, or you look at somebody who's addicted to marijuana, or addicted to sugar, or any kind of I guess habits that don't serve us. Those are the kind of habits that are not only um, they're self-destructive, but they're habits that are seated at a much deeper level. And I really want to go there in this conversation because I really want to open up Pandora's box about how we look at habits. So instead of us just trying to analyze our habits and consciously come up with the reality that we need to break the habit, it's not good for me, it's not serving me the way that I eat or the way that I behave. I need to do something different. We're still very much working on a very conscious level. But I want to throw something new into the ring today, and this is something that science is really experimenting with at the moment. And I think that it's really worth um, considering when we're talking about the power of habits. Because any behavior, what we know, any behavior, once it's learned, like driving a car or brushing your hair or brushing your teeth or eating breakfast or putting your underpants on, Mm -hmm. (laughs) any behavior, once it's actually learned,
2: moves into the unconscious mind. It takes us out of the present because that's what you said in the beginning. You said it's, it's about being present. But we, when we do a habit, we're not present. Like, you know, I can be driving down the road and wonder how I got to a certain place Mm. because I wasn't present because I I have a habit with, with driving and I go to the same places. And so it's, it's to me, I I figure a habit is not about being present, which you just said, you know, it's the unconscious. Mm -hmm. It's, it's absolutely true. And it's a known fact. Once it's learned, It goes into the unconscious
0: mind and then it just becomes a habitual way of being. Now, what we've been discovering of late though is that the unconscious mind. There's way more to it. It's not. In fact, I don't even want to refer to it as an unconscious mind anymore, because I think it's an unconscious system. The unconscious is not just made up of the brain. The unconscious is actually made up of the heart and the gut. We've discovered. Science has discovered that there were. There are 100 million neurons embedded in the gut lining that think for themselves. They are able to act, they are able to function independently of the brain. So if the gut and the heart are severed from the brain, they will still do their job and they will still perform their thinking functions for the body as well as the digestive function and the blood filtration function. They have the capacity to perform their jobs in both areas. It's it's the most fascinating part about the human body. It just it
1: blows my mind and bakes my noodle all at the same time. <laughs> I tell you what... Richard but but Karen, can I, can I just ask you? Yeah. Because I think you've really hack something here Mm. and I don't want to sound crass when I say this but let's say I've got to get up and deliver a speech now I have been speaking for 26 years I know what it's like to stand on stage I've done these talks many many times but today for some reason I have to get up and I'm speaking to a whole group of people that are I don't know I'm a bit nervous I don't even think it in my head I don't even know if I'm thinking in my heart but my gut Mm -hmm. has got butterflies I May need to go number twos, even number (laughs) (laughs) ones. But you just said something that just (laughs) hit something for me that you know that 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 gut instinct, that gut feeling. It's my gut that feels it before my head processes why I'm nervous or why I'm upset or why I'm worried. My gut will talk to me far quicker than any other part. Is that what you're saying? Totally, and that's its job.
0: See, from the time that we're born, we're taking in information that we don't even realise that we're absorbing. So everything that we're seeing, every experience, everything we see on television, we're taking it all in. Now what the gut's job is, is to take in all of that information and create what are called um, simplistically rules of thumb so that in a situation of fight or flight, the um, gut is able to act on behalf of the body for self-preservation. So the gut is a storage bank, if you like, of a whole bunch of rules of thumb. We were talking about this earlier. Say, for example, we hear a loud bang. Now, the gut's job is to hear the bang and tell the body to run rather than hearing a bang, deciding what it is, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, life-threatening, should I run, should I not run, oh, my God, the last time I heard a bang... Um, you know, it, uh, there, was, there was a bomb that went off and, oh, my goodness, I had post-traumatic stress disorder and I suffered depression. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness, that means I've got to be responsible. see the brain doing this. <laughs> no, but the brain actually does do that. Mm. The brain takes the experience. The, take, the brain takes the bang and searches through the data bank that's the unconscious brain that holds all of the information about the last time I heard a bang. Now, for me, being involved in the Bali bombing, there's a lot associated with that. Mm. However, the gut doesn't have all of that because the gut simply doesn't have the capacity to hold all of that information. All the gut knows is that a rule of thumb, hear a loud bang, get a fright, jump, and then run. Mm. So the gut doesn't actually communicate with the brain in those sorts of circ- those sorts of circumstances. The gut just tells the body how to respond. So the messages go from the gut straight out to the limbs. It doesn't go back up to the brain and then the brain um, orchestrates the movement of the limbs. It doesn't happen that way. The gut orchestrates the, 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 the movement of the limbs.
2: And, you know, I always learned that when we're in that fight-flight um, situation mm. that the gut blood system is drawn away from the gut, so you can't digest, you can't do anything, goes straight to the limbs, even gets drawn away from the brain and goes straight to the limbs, uh, you know, to... But I never thought, well, where did it come from? You know, who told the blood to do that? But obviously it's coming from, as you said, that rule of thumb, Mm. the gut, Yeah. And, you know, that's
0: where our habits come from as well to a large extent Mm. because a habit is a general rule of thumb. You know when you're driving your car, if you hear somebody honk their horn, a general rule of thumb means that there could potentially be an accident. Yes? Yeah. You hear an ambulance, you know that there's been an accident somewhere. It's just a general rule of thumb that we know. When you hear an ambulance, you know you need to be pulling over. Now, that just is something that happens automatically. You start scanning, looking for where the ambulance is. Is it anywhere near you? Is it in your lane? Is it behind you? Is it on your side of the road? Pull over. I feel it in
1: my gut. Mm.
2: Yes. I actually I feel it in say. my gut and I mm. realise that now.
1: I, I actually get a fright mm. and it's in my gut. But my automatic reaction is I pull left. Yes. That's right. Mm. Yeah.
0: And if, if an animal runs in front of the car, oh God. the adrenaline, the adrenaline mm. doesn't come from the brain. You feel the gut tense and all of a sudden you can feel your fingertips tensing or you feel your fingertips tingling because it's the gut that's distributed the adrenaline through your body to create that instant reaction of a swerve or
1: foot on the brake it hasn't had time to process you know you're absolutely right because my husband does this to me all the time if, and living in Australia, I have to say to you, it's like living in Jurassic Park because in, you know your dragonflies are actually like birds, and oh your God. flies and ants have eyes, etc. So yes, they're big. But what I'm suggesting to you is, is, and this is where I feel really, I, I feel actually a little bit bad about this because when I'm driving, if I saw an animal on the road, I will, my brain would not kick into hit the animal, save your family. This mm. is what scares me. My my gut doesn't want to hurt or my heart maybe even comes into play or I don't want to hurt this animal. So I will put my own life at risk by swerving and I might hit a tree or a car or another thing. My th- whole gut instinct or rule of thumb is don't hurt that animal. But I haven't registered, I don't think, in the brain, don't yeah. hurt myself as well. And yeah. that is a beautiful
0: example. And it, I guess it also comes back to your, your question about the speaking as well mm. because what we know to be logically right um, you know, And I do support your view around the animals. I'll be really honest about that. Because for, for me, my rule of thumb is still also about the animals, not for myself. Mm. But logically, it would be to protect your kids and mm. to protect your family and to, to swerve in order to protect your family in the car, which is evidence of the fact that the brain isn't the one that's driving the performance or the action. It, it is definitely the gut. And when you're getting up on stage to speak, you can tell yourself logically, I've spoken 300 times, and I have not died yet. Every time I get off the stage, I get off the stage alive. But from your gut's perspective, it's like the end of the world. Mm. So, you know, I, was, I did a recording yesterday. I've delivered 770-odd presentations, and obviously my gut, when I get to a thousand people that I'm speaking for hasn't registered that's a thousand people is safe. So the rule of thumb hasn't registered that yet. Anything up to a thousand, my gut has a rule of thumb that it's safe and I'm going to be fine. Soon as I'm over a thousand, I'm back to square one. It's just, it's hilarious. It's, funny, isn't it? it's hilarious. But this is the thing that I want to open up for us to talk about here is that, you know, for a lot of the time when you look, listen to um, audios and you read books and you listen to speakers about changing habits and, and creating new habits around and our money and about our health and our eating and everything, we all look at it from a very logical perspective. Mm. We all look at it from the context of trying to make conscious changes with something that's happening very unconsciously. Mm. But it's not happening as a result of the brain, it's happening as a result of a rule of thumb that we've set up that lives in the gut. So in order to create a new habit, we need to create the new habit from the bottom up. <laughs> Bottoms up. Bottoms <laughs> up. Because when you think about those instant first reactions, those gut feelings, those intuitive responses, they come from the gut. Mm. And this is how the conscious system or unconscious system actually works. So we've got the, the gut that gives us that first instinct, that first impression, whether you're aware of it or not, it's always there. Then what happens is we move up to the heart where we think, okay, how is this going to serve me and how is this going to serve humanity? Because the heart actually has its own thinking system with 40 million neurons or neurites that live inside of the heart. And the heart has the capacity to emit a radio frequency five times the distance of the human body. So it's the heart that's actually reaching out, connecting with other hearts. That's why we can feel each other and we feel a sense of love for others. The brain is the logical processor, the planner, the delivery mechanism. So if we had to look from the bottom up, we think about, well, what's, what, what do I feel about this? What's right? What's best for me? What's in my best interest? What's in my gut feeling? What's my no gut feeling about what's my it? Gut? We always ask that question. And if we listen... If we pay attention, we'll hear it. But most of the time, we don't because we bypass all of that. Not that we actually do bypass it because it's all happening anyway. But in today's society, we're so conditioned around action. We're so conditioned around results and planning. That's our culture. But unfortunately, our culture isn't serving us because look at us, we're exhausted, we're overweight, we're unhealthy, we're working too hard, we're producing results that we're not happy with. So we're in constant strive, which is constant fight or flight, which puts the body under greater stress and we're dying earlier. So things and we're diseased, disillusioned and completely disappointed with our lives and we wonder why. We keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Mm, insanity. But what's happening is we're listening and being driven by the unconscious system but trying to blame it all on the brain saying well i need to put in a new action plan i need to come up with new steps and new strategies wrong that's not it it's all about going from the bottom up how what's my gut response to this what does my gut feel and then listen and then get an understanding and a connection with how our heart feels about how is this for me and how is this for humanity. Because everything we do creates a ripple effect. And then we use our brain for what it's actually there for, is the constant con, um, conscious presence of mind in order to create the action plan to deliver what the gut and the heart as part of the unconscious, mind,
1: unconscious system has created. Okay, so talk me through this. Yep. I've got a habit at 3 o'clock every day that I'm hungry and I want something sweet. Mm. So I want to go into the kitchen and I want to get a biscuit or a cookie or I want to do something like that. Or I want to get on the phone and uh, it's my time out. What is that? How do I work from the bottom up? Um, I mean, I think it's a a classic that Cindy's actually written a book called Changing Habits, Changing Lives based on food, which is, to me, the gut, Mm. which is quite fascinating. Mm. I don't even know if you realize how powerful what you're doing and how it's changing lives. But but Walk me through that, Cindy, how I've got this habit of wanting something sweet. It's usually mid-afternoon. Um, I don't want to do what I'm doing. I'm distracted. I, uh, why am I reaching for something? Is, is there more to reaching for something sweet, do you think? It's funny because I wanted
2: to ask Karen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to you. Look, I love you going to me.
2: <laughs> you know, like I read a book, um, I don't know, probably in the last year, and it was about the power of habit. And it taught me that every single habit we have has three parts to it. And the first is the cue. So, you know, the cue is it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Is it the time? Is that your cue? Or is it your blood sugar's dropped? Is that your cue? Or you just need time out, you know? So we don't really, you know, is it the time? Is it the the, the addiction maybe? You know, it could all be part of that. So once you figure out your cue... And then your routine, and your routine might be going to the fridge, opening up, getting a a chocolate that you've made, of course, (laughs) um, a cookie or a muffin. And then what ends up being is the result or the reward that you get. And the reward is you've taken time out, It stopped you from doing some work, you've, you've, you know, satisfied the the addiction that you had. So these are... So just explain this to me here. There's a cue. A cue.
1: There's a routine. Yep. And then there's a reward. Yes. That's what my conscious mind is doing or my subconscious? Right? Well, no, it's, that
0: unconscious. It's, it's unconscious. It's very unconscious mm. because if you knew better, you would do better. Right. So the fact that that's all occurring, it's occurring as a, what's a rule of thumb, if you like. Three o'clock comes and the rule of thumb is you get up from your desk, you go and you get your chocolate, you come back to your desk, you know, you're consciously aware that you've eaten the chocolate. If you're trying to break the habit, you know what you're doing. Mm. But why you can't stop doing it is because it's not a logical process. It's a rule of thumb set up by the gut that at 3 o'clock you're tired, you need to go and eat to sustain yourself or you just need to use that as a break and an excuse to get away from your work or your bored, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So you've set up a rule of thumb there that's become so habitual because you've been doing it for the last 10 years. You do something every day for 10 years or 5 years or 10 months, your body starts to get used to a rule of thumb. Everything that is learned, that's a learned behavior moves to the unconscious. And I'm going to say the unconscious system, not the unconscious mind, because some of it's going to go to the unconscious mind. Some of it's going to go to the unconscious gut and some of it's going to go to the unconscious heart. So that's a rule of thumb that you've got. And the cue, as Cindy says, is the three o'clock or, you know, what What is the cue? Yeah. And
2: and so so you're saying
1: that discovering the cue could be the start of discovering to break or create a new habit. Correct.
2: Well, the, the discovering of the cue and then knowing what your routine is, and that's going to the fridge and opening it up and doing, you know, all you have to do is go, well, once I've discovered the cue, I'm going to change my routine. The reward will always be the same because you will have satisfied whatever it is that you know that you need to satisfy. So, a question I have is that a lot of people have been doing, you know, the, the protocol, the um, four phase fat elimination protocol. They're losing twenty eight kilos. Their taste buds are changing. Their mindset is changing. They know the foods they should not be eating. Because they will the foods that will make them sick again. Their their whole life is changing, but they they have a habit that when they are emotionally upset or even emotionally happy, they want to reward themselves. They have this habit that they can't break. So how do we? You know, my question is, how do we help these people who they know, you know, like it is logical, you know, and that's what you're saying, Karen, is that it's all logical, but it's the gap that's actually, you know, the main stem of the problem. See, see,
1: I look at you two as my gurus. I look at you two as the most intellectual and most informed women I know. And I'm sitting here trying to sound really intelligent um, (laughs) on what I'm going to say here. (laughs) But if I really strip it back, if I really look at it, you know, I used to go and reach for the cookie. I asked that question because I used to do that years ago one of the things I started to do without even realising it perhaps was I changed my cue or changed my routine. So now for me, some of the routines or cues that I do when I want to reach for something sweet, because let's face it, even though there's three of us, we put ourselves out here to be, um, we, we are experts in our field, we're very good at work, we're healthy, we're fit, we're, I'd like to say young, but we feel young at heart, all of those things. But there's times when we fall off the wagon. So for me, myself personally, when I go and do that, what I started to do was something different mm. so when I got that cue for me if I wanted something sweet one of my cues now is or sorry my routine when I get that cue is I'll actually go and put my running shoes on and that's when I go for a run so I used to be in a habit where I'd go for a run every morning at six o'clock every morning and that would be my routine and I'd love it but at three o'clock in the afternoon I'd still feel like something sweet so what I've noticed I do now is I run when I feel like running And often for me, my cue to run is when I'm fatigued, when I'm tired, when I'm bored, when I want to go and ring someone, when I'm going to have a cookie. So I now trust that at some point during my 24 hours, I will feel like that. there's no, there's a no-brainer for me that I will feel like I want to do something naughty or I shouldn't be doing. So now my cue or my, my, my routine for me is now I will go for a run or a walk or a swim. I'll jump in the pool. I'll do something that does not involve food. Another cue for me um, when I'm feeling negative or, or not great about myself or I'm tired or I want to reach for something sweet is I'll get I'll go and brush my teeth is another routine because for me the minute I have peppermint in my mouth, I don't want to put something sweet in my mouth. That's another routine I've now learned to do. Is that why your teeth are so white? (laughs) Because I brush them all the time. (laughs) Um, I'm sitting here looking at them and they're just glowing. um, Maybe. But you know the minute I have something like that I don't have this cue to want to eat so all of a sudden I'm realising it's not that my blood sugars have dropped. It's not that I need something sweet. I've got into a habit, a routine routine of doing something that I shouldn't perhaps Mm -hmm. be doing for the betterment of my existence or I'll instead of reach for a cookie I'll have an apple. You know I'm Mm -hmm. really consciously try so do you think this is what I'm starting to do is to create new routines and break those old ones because I'm trying to sound intelligent as
2: like I see, but I'm trying to strip it back and think actually all I need to do is create a new routine and that's right uh, basically what they're saying is you're always going to have the cue and you always will want the reward it's the routine you just need to change so what I've done is that sometimes my cue is Tiredness, coming home after work, tiredness, sitting down on the couch, turning the television on and flicking. Because I don't want to do anything else, which is a terrible to me. It's a, it's a terrible habit to get into, because I know some people who can do that and stay there for five and six hours. So one of the things that I did to stop that routine was I did the body boost. Mm. I would go have a shower when I got home and I was feeling like that, and I'd use energy and vitality to do the body boost, and then I would feel refreshed and ready to go and make dinner and and and, and make healthy dinner and do what I needed to do so so let's just explain quickly
1: for someone that doesn't know what the body boost is Mm. because this is what I've learned is another routine for me as well um and interestingly enough Karen when we were talking before um before we started recording about um you know I use smell a lot in my talks or in my um description as how we can support ourselves to be better human beings and changing our habits and all these things and I've I'd like to say unconsciously but what I've always done is I've put a drop of my energy and vitality or a drop of my lime or frankincense whatever my favorite blend is or that oil at that moment and funnily enough I put it on my gut Mm. Rather than smelling it in my hands, and I've just—I had an aha before when you were talking that oh my gosh, the first place I actually place my anchor, my oils, my smells, is on my stomach, and then I work my hands up, and then I smell it into my hands. I've never Look known why that. I did it. Yeah.
0: Look at that! And so your body has known what it needed all along. You've just automatically been mm. doing it, and our body does actually know that. It's, it, the, our body is the most intelligent you know piece of machinery it's so intelligent in that you've already known to work your way up because mm. that's the way that information and communication and connection between the unconscious system actually
1: works it makes me realize even more so how powerful the body boost is though because when i teach people to put a teaspoon of oil a couple of drops of your favorite essential oils and some magnesium spray on we'll perhaps we'll go into this in a little bit more in another podcast but i work from the feet up so i'll place that teaspoon I slap it onto my skin all over then I go back on my naked body and I work up the whole body Bottoms very up. conscious of my once I hit the stomach, moving up over the heart, I finish off with the arms and then I hold my oils, my hands, my smell across my face and I say something positive, so you're you saying you do that when you're tired, when mm-hmm. you come home from a day at work, is probably one of the most, I would say, for, because smell is so closely linked to our emotions and our emotions often drive our habits, um, or good or bad, but it's that smell association, connection, with, and it crosses the blood-brain barrier instantly which then perhaps creates a logical thing of, I've done something different, or I've done something for me, and I think it's really powerful what we're talking about here is creating different routines and, and for some of you, it might not be using oils, it might be you know going for a walk, it might be going for a swim, it might be changing the context, even getting out of your room, ringing someone changing what you're doing, to stop you doing the negative habit, yeah. Do you think then, in the same way, this is how I will consciously create a new habit? It has to be conscious, doesn't it? Look, yeah, absolutely. See, the
0: unconscious system is incapable of um, making new choices. The unconscious system, being the mind, the gut, the heart and the gut, is incapable of making new decisions and new choices. It works purely from stored data. And In order to, and the conscious mind is the only part of us that is able to make new choices, new decisions, and new plans. So, for all of us, if we want to create something new, it has to have conscious awareness to it. You have to make a conscious new choice. Like if you were going to drive, if you've been driving an automatic car all your life, like At the moment, my nephew, um, he's 18, and he's just bought himself a manual car. He's been driving an automatic car, got his license on an automatic, but he really wanted to learn to drive a manual. Now, for him, he had himself in a certain habit pattern, although it would only been for two years, but a certain habit pattern on driving an automatic. Now he's gotten bought himself a manual car. He's got to learn to drive again. So he's very present. Mm. He's very conscious to the clutch and the brake and the timing of the clutch and the accelerator and the gears at the same time. He's very conscious of his ability to put the indicator on, turn the steering wheel while changing the gears and moving the clutch and the accelerator and then braking as he goes around the corner. It's a whole multitude of... Uh, decisions and choices that he has to make in in a tiny split second as he's driving. But now he's very present to that and he's very aware that that's happening. Mm. We're no different when we're trying to change a habit. We have to be consciously aware of what we want. We have to choose what we want and I guess really associate with why we want it, why we want that new habit, why it's important to us, really connect to that And this is the part that I really want to encourage our listeners to be aware of is that when we want to create a new habit, in order for it to move into the unconscious system in a really powerful and a really potent way, don't just create a logical sequence from the conscious mind. Really connect to, as you were saying earlier, Kim, you know, start from the top down to create a new Mm. habit. You know, it really is making sense. Become consciously present to what you want. Feel how it feels for you and for others. Really connect to the emotional aspects of it and then really know that it's going to be the right thing for you in terms of once this is a habit, is this going to serve me in a holistic perspective? Because once it becomes a habit, it's going to become a rule of thumb and it's going to be driven from the bottom up. And that's why habits are so difficult to break Mm. because they're almost
2: so deeply ingrained and so deeply embedded. I remember, you know, it has to be 20, 30 years ago, I was listening to a tape set. That's how long ago it was. And it was a gentleman who used to work for Walt Disney. And his name was Michael Vance. And he was really funny and he could get his message across. And he was talking about habits. And he basically said there are four stages to becoming competent with a habit. And in order to break the habit, you have to go back a stage. So the first stage he talked about is that you are unconsciously incompetent. In other words, you have no idea that you don't even know that you can't do it. Because, you you know, it's like a child who's just been born, he or she has no idea that walking is possible. Absolutely so right. So it's in. unconscious incompetence. He says the next step that happens is that we go from being consciously incompetent. We actually are aware that we don't know how to do that. And then he said the third stage was we become consciously competent, exactly what's happened to your nephew. You know, he's had to really be aware and conscious all the time about what he's doing until he becomes like most other drivers, we become unconsciously competent. And in order to break a habit, and unconsciously competent means we've just driven 10K and we have no idea how we did it. Mm. We're on another planet in another area of space, not even knowing what we're doing. Or we've gone to the fridge, picked up a date, and not even know. You know, we did it and ate it, or picked up a chocolate, or whatever. Because I noticed that when I did the the protocol is that, you know, it's very strict. You are allowed to eat at certain times. And I was used to going to the fridge and getting a date if I felt like something sweet or an apple or a banana. And and that was not allowed on the protocol. So I'd find myself in the first three days opening the fridge, putting my hand in and not even know I was doing it. So it was unconsciously. Competent, mm. and what I had to do is I had to become present and become consciously competent, mm. so that I knew what I was doing at all times in order to break that habit of going to the fridge, picking up something when it wasn't in the protocol. Mm. And I and I believe that for people who want to change their routine is that perhaps they should journal what is the cue that makes them go to the fridge to open it up become present as you've said and understand what you're doing every step of the time and being present is like the power of now you know oh, um, totally Yeah. Eckhart Tolle talks about this all the time so if you are trying to break a habit you must become present in the moment and know what you're doing figure out what your cue is create four different new routines for yourself as, as you know I did the body boots it worked straight away for me but it might also be going for a walk uh it like you know, there are so many things that we can break a routine with, isn't there? Or, or create a new routine, I should say. Well, well, maybe this is a great time for us to, you know, it doesn't matter what your habit is. It could be,
1: let's talk about the negative habits. It could be smoking cigarettes. It could be overeating. It could be um, abusive in relationships. It could be whatever your negative habits are that you want to break. You know, I think what would be a fantastic thing for us to do now is let's give our five I think we could give five top tips to help people, help ourselves, remind ourselves. What are the five top tip, tips then that we would give? I mean, I, I'm suggesting that that's the fifth top tip that you've just given. Um, journal the cue, you know, how to become consciously competent. I know for myself as a personal trainer, I used to say to my clients who wanted to lose weight, I want you to do a food diary, a food journal for a week and tell me what you're eating. The freaky thing is most of the time they lied. Because when you start writing down when you are, what you are eating, how often you're eating it, people think, oh, I had a cookie. But you haven't written down that you did it four times that day mm. you know or a, you know my girl, her girlfriend that used to she'd have one cookie on the table and she'd break off a bit which was a better habit for her than having four cookies but she gave herself one cookie a day but the four times she did it she'd have one corner of that cookie um, rather than having it all at once I think mother, young mothers that are, that are cooking and making food for their babies often you lick the spoon or you finish off their plate and you wonder why after two years of having your children you've put on 10 kilos it's these little habits that you're unconsciously even doing. So I think diarising, journaling, perhaps is one of the most important things to do to create a new habit.
2: I I actually think before we do that, you actually brought up another issue, and that is that there are addictions to habits. Nice. Yeah. You know, if you have an addiction to cigarettes, which is the nicotine, or an addiction to alcohol, which, you know, Karen was saying before, is to obliterate the world. Just, you know, that's the addiction, is to obliterate the world. So with every habit, no matter what the habit is, it's a bit of an addiction. There is an addiction to it. I, 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 like I'm trying to think I guess putting on your underpants not knowing whether you put your left or your right in first consciously but unconsciously, and I mean unconsciously but consciously if you think about it like if everybody thinks now when you get up in the morning you put your undies on is it a, are you a left righty or a right lefty? <laughs> <laughs> is there an addiction to that? And if you try to change it you have to be consciously present to do it. So every habit probably has an addiction so how do we solve the addiction? Is it coming, Karen, from the gut? Look, you know, for addictions, there's two components to that. There's the
0: physical addiction to the substance that the body becomes attached to and it become, you know, like for um, drug addicts and, and so on and, and even alcoholics. And and food addicts. And food addicts, for sure. Mm. The body becomes attached to that from a molecular perspective so there's the physical, there's the physicality um, of the addiction, and then there's the mental aspect of the addiction. Because every addiction comes with a payoff, and what I mean by that is that for most people, when they become addicted to something, it's it's more than the substance more than the cigarette or more than the sugar or more than the alcohol or more than the drugs or more than the abusive relationship because it's not just always something physical that we addict to sometimes we're addicted to attracting abusive relationships or relationships where we're not valued Um, more than the actual context of the addiction is the payoff and we become addicted to that and the payoff is always something yuck it's always a It's always something really when we become aware of it. And the payoff is always unconscious. The payoff is always driven from our unconscious system. And notice I'm not using unconscious mind anymore Mm. because I really get that it's so much more than that. The payoff, let's just say for argument's sake, somebody, um, and I'm just going to use myself as a classic example because I'm prepared to go there publicly. I was depressed for about six years after I'd lost my partner to suicide and after I'd been through the Bali bombings and two of my friends were killed. I went through incredible depression. So I became a depressed person. And I was on antidepressants because you know I was diagnosed as depressed, and the chemical imbalances in my body were not functioning properly. Um, and interestingly enough, just on that note, 90% of the body's serotonin exists in the gut, 50% of the body's dopamine exists in the gut. Go figure.
2: Wow,
0: I know, and they say it's a chemical imbalance of the brain, and it's not. It's, and science actually knows, science wow. actually knows that those neurotransmitters exist in the gut. They don't know what to do with that right now,
2: but they absolutely know that that's a fact. And, you know, the amount of people that go on Prozac and these antidepressants, for sure. Um, you know, the SSRIs, they're, they're saying they're mainly placebo. Well, here's the thing. See, they
0: don't cross the blood the blood brain barrier mm-hmm. so they don't actually penetrate into the brain where they believe they're going to make the most difference so the so the um the drugs that are available for depressed people or schizophrenic people doesn't cross the blood brain barrier it goes into the gut where it addresses the neurons and the neurites in the gut hoping that it will then um uh penetrate into the bloodstream which will then eventually go through the blood through the, through the brain but not as the synthetic form of the drug as the uh, pass, it, it, they're hoping that it will pass through the gut and convert to a new substance that will pass through the blood-brain barrier mm-hmm. To affect change. To affect change, mm-hmm. but the synthetic drug itself won't pass through. So they, they create something that will affect the serotonin in the gut, create something new, which then will pass through. Hopefully that makes sense.
2: No, it does, and it's actually just um, given me a little sidestep and maybe we can talk about this at another time. But what you feed your gut yeah, mm-hmm. and how much serotonin and dopamine it produces mm. that affects the brain chemistry may have something to do with this Everything. whole depression problem. Mm. I'm,
0: I'm,
2: I'm doing research
0: at the moment purely because I have been depressed and I work with people all the time and hear from people all the time who have been depressed. But having been depressed myself, I know it and... Um, I'm working on some research at the moment, which is about how food affects our psychology. Because our psychology... If 90% of the serotonin and dopamine is in our is in our gut, I want to know what our food is doing to, to affect that because it's got nothing to do with the brain. It's got everything to do with the unconscious system. And to me, I mean, you know, that just, that's my lolly bags right there. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the most fantastically fascinating subject. So I'm doing loads of research on that right
2: now. You know what? We, we should make that a topic because there are, like, I've done the food mood brain. Yeah. Um, and how the foods that we eat affect the moods in the brain. Yeah. So when you've done your research, and I know you do the same thing. Well, I know even, you know, (laughs) I keep going back to smell,
1: but even, you know, we know that if we use herbs and plants mm-hmm. and, and and things that smell good, we have a different association to that in our body and our and our, our whole reaction to it. But but I just I just want to keep us on track. Yeah, let's I agree. Let's get know, back to addiction. Like,
2: we're good at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before we
1: go off onto another tangent, I just want to make sure our fifth most important Um, suggestion and creating a good habit or breaking an old one is the conscious connection to what we want. Yes. So I think what you said at the beginning was list down the benefits of what it is that you want to have in your life and the costs. So journal the cues, in other words. Yeah. So so Karen, would you suggest then, so let's say my my habit or addiction or or, or thing is cigarettes. I want to give up cigarettes. Mm. So just talk me through that number fifth, the fifth most important thing. Do I write down the benefits of what I Get from smoking a cigarette, it makes me feel I, I had no idea but I'm assuming this is what they get from it, um, <laughs> that it makes me feel relaxed, often I see people that smoke, it's a social connection because two people sit down, I know there's people out there that go and have a cigarette, their cigarette time is their me time, they go and sit on the deck, no one talks to mummy or daddy or whoever it is mm-hmm. so it becomes this. It there's a whole thing around it or it's a social context or it's cool mm-hmm. whatever it is, so I write down all the lists of the benefits, mm-hmm. then do I write down the lists of all the things, I know it's bad for me, I know it's perhaps as a, as a link to lung disease i know it gives me a high but it actually is short-lived i'm becoming more addicted do i write down all the negatives is that what you're suggesting yeah look what i would also suggest is that you really give great thought to the payoff
0: um, particularly when it is an addiction, and any habit, you know, has a level of that in there. So, hang
1: on. So, the the
0: benefits, the, the benefits, costs. Well, the costs, I think, is where we where we need to look at the payoff. Okay. Because the payoff, even though it's it's like a it's it's a it's it, it, well, it's not a reward. It's definitely a payoff. So, for argument's sake, just quickly coming back to me with the depression, my payoff was that I got to not participate. It was cool for me to, depre- to be depressed because everybody would say, poor Karen, oh, don't worry, don't expect anything from her. If she's moody, let her go. You know, just leave her. She's been depressed. You know, God love her. She's been blown up.
2: You know, so... <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have to
0: participate in life? I didn't. I got to not participate in life. I got to let go of
1: being responsible. Now, the payoff... That same th- so, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, you but okay. I know there is a number of people that I've got to meet over the years, one lady in particular, her children know that when mummy goes out on the deck and has a cigarette, she doesn't have to be mummy at the moment. That's Do correct. not interrupt uh-huh. her in her life. And that's her payoff. That's her payoff, right. But see, the payoff
0: is always something much deeper. Mm. See, because the payoff... Ultimately, like if I'm a smoker and I'm a social smoker, underneath all of that, the payoff is that I get to do something with my hands in front of people, and I don't feel uncomfortable. Underneath all of that is an innate belief that I'm not good enough; therefore, I need my cigarette as my crutch. Mm-hmm. So the payoff always has something much deeper and much more sinister lying underneath it. It's so the mum on yuck. the deck, she What's doesn't. Her you know, her payoff is that she gets to escape. She gets to escape being a mum for those times now that's the payoff for her and if she wants to escape being a mum for a couple of hours or for you know a day go to the day spa go and give yourself something really fabulous to do get a babysitter in and actually do it deliberately rather than allowing your habit or your addiction to drive your behavior in a way that doesn't serve you or serve others around you so it's a case of yeah being very present to the cue that prompts the behavior but then understanding what's the cost what's it costing me is it costing me my health is it costing me time with my children is it costing me participation in this life is it costing me responsibility what's it costing me and then looking at well where did that cost come from in the first place why do why did i need that why do i need to stop participating in life why did i need a way to not be responsible why do i need a way to escape my children And if it's just
1: to get balance, well then go and do something great, go play tennis. Okay, so so I get that. I really I'm hearing you and I'm writing this down. My question to you both would be this. If I wanna break the habit and I don't want to be a smoker anymore. Or I don't want to be depressed anymore. And I do all that and I write it all down. I write all the benefits, but I've still got the problem. Then it's deeper than that is. I don't want to give up the habit. I don't want to give up being a victim. I don't want to give up That's being right. depressed. You right? don't want to give up the payoff. So yep. for those of you that say, Oh, I've done this, I've written it down and I've still got the habit. Then you need to probably finish here at number five. And until you're ready to give up that habit, it ain't going to change because yeah. the next four points that we're going to give isn't going to matter. If you don't want to change this habit, I would suggest. And, and really I just want to I
0: really want to stress get clear on the payoff get clear on why you don't want to give it up because the addiction is not to the substance or to the behavior as much as it is addicted to that payoff Mm -hmm. you know the 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 the, the mum who's escaping she's addicted to the escape the substance addiction is one thing but she's addicted to the escaping if somebody who's depressed is addicted to the, it's similar, it's addicted to escaping. It's addicted to the attention that they get. It's addicted to the not participating. It's addiction to that. Why do you want to be addicted to that? What's the point of that? It's not serving you or anybody else. If you're addicted to an abusive relationship, your, your addiction is to your constant belief that you're not good enough to have something better. Why do you need to be continually addicted to that? And I will actually say that there are some cases where a person can't do these things on their own for these more extreme cases because if we knew better we would do better and in those cases it's time to see a counsellor and let somebody help you through it because it becomes such a habitual way of being we don't know life without it Mm. and
2: you can't even create a new habit when you've never experienced life without it there's a, you know, there's a beautiful movie that's just it talks about what you're talking about, and it's called What the Bleep. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and when people, if people understand what you're saying or don't understand what you're saying about the payoff, try go online and see if you can get What the Bleep because it actually shows how the neurons keep firing mm. out to create the addiction. And when we create a bunch of neurons to do that, we become addicted to that firing of the neurons. Correct. We have to break the firing of the neurons create a new pathway um. and so and, and it's right. often at that point
1: we don't know how to do
2: it, which yes, is why I yes, really value
1: right. your point of sometimes we can't do or we don't think we can do it alone. We give up. Yes. So get support, get help. So the, yeah. fourth, the fourth most important thing and, and way of creating a good habit is to be consistent. You know, like once we start getting into the habit of this, and if you still can't break it, I've been told and I've always worked on the fact that it, it takes 28 days to create a habit, uh, between 21 and 28 days. So I would be, if I wanted to get into a healthy lifestyle again I, or even for people taking on the body boost cindy i say this to everybody take it on for 28 days do it consistently every day for 28 days i don't care where in that 24 hour period you do it but do it if you miss a day my suggestion is you start again until you do it for 28 days straight and you know that it becomes more of a habit so i believe the fourth most important thing in creating a habit is consistency
0: yeah look i think um consistency is definitely the key from a mental perspective as as or a, a neurological perspective as Cindy was just saying our brain fires through these neurological networks that have been created from the time that we were born and we get used to certain connections that take place in order to create something new you've got to do it over and over and over and over and over again so that it creates its own neurological network or Rule of thumb in the gut. Well, ultimately, rule of thumb. As you're doing it over and over and over again, let's say you're eating an apple instead of smoking, what your body is, what what your brain is taking in is uh, feel like a cigarette, eat an apple, feel like a cigarette, (laughs) eat an apple, feel like a cigarette, (laughs) eat an apple. Feel
2: like an apple, eat an apple. Yeah. yeah.
1: Not eat feel like an apple eat a cigarette. I
0: mean, <laughs> oh my gosh. Smoke like an apple eat a cigarette. Yeah yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the brain the brain is actually creating that that neurological nest, if you like, that when you get that desire for a cigarette, you eat an apple. The more the more consistent you are, the brain actually creates that neurological nest. But what lands up happening from the gut's perspective is you just eat an apple, real thumb, eat an apple. Real thumb, even apple, because the the gut doesn't have all of the other ancillary information uh, about the
1: addiction. It's not really interested in that. It's really only interested in the rule of thumb. Wow. Okay. So, so, so the third most important thing in creating a habit is to create a payoff. A creator reward is what we would suggest. So if we look at what that means to create a payoff, are you telling me then, you girls, that I create a payoff as in, um, so, so let's say I've gone for a run, what's my do I create a reward? So the reward for me might be I do a body booster, I'll have a magnesium bath, or that night I get to have um, maybe half a glass of wine with my meal. Is that <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, in my Or a cigarette outside. (laughs) Yay! With an apple. With an apple. (laughs) No, but what I'm asking you here is is I'm wanting to create a payoff. So I've gone for my run. Um, I've done it now. I'm on day 16. I'm I'm doing well. But I just want to feel even more good about it. What's my payoff? What's my reward? What would you suggest for me?
0: So this is where I think it's very important that we go from the bottom up again in that when we're creating the payoff, the payoff, when we've got an addiction or a habit that doesn't serve us, the payoff is always a huge unconscious driver. So what we want to do is create a very conscious driver that actually drives the behavior in the first place rather than necessarily rewarding it at the end. So for argument's sake, you could say, um, you know, if I have a visualization of myself being a size eight for argument's sake and being lean, fit, athletic and strong and having pictures all over my walls and you know have a visualization of myself running 10 kilometers with ease I would really embed myself in that first so that then that drives my behavior when I'm
1: doing the new action mm. you, you know you just on a really interesting point there like people say to me oh when I lose the way I'm going to buy myself a new dress mm. and my I've always said it for years as a personal trainer. Get yourself a new pair of running shoes now. Get yourself a pair of shorts that you actually feel good in now, Mm. no matter what your size is. Because when I put on those shorts and those new shoes, I actually feel good now creating that. And you know what? My reward and payoff in a couple of months' time is, oh, my gosh, I'm going to give these to my girlfriend who's now on the same journey and I'm getting myself my size 10s or my size 12s or whatever the next size down. Mm. I believe in rewarding myself along the way uh, because I truly feel that sometimes that we say i'm going to do it i'll buy my new jeans when i get to size 10 mm. sometimes size 10 never comes mm. and i feel really disillusioned disappointed and i want to give up so i want to have a pair of jeans that'll look good in now on a size 14 and i know the reward i don't mind spending another hundred bucks on a pair of jeans because now i'm buying a size 12 so to me i think the payoff is always in the moment
2: of where we're at too rather than waiting for something that may never happen mm. plus the reward of of not smoking, the reward of eating apple, um, the reward of doing, you know, not emotionally eating. The reward of going for a run speaks for itself, doesn't it, in the end? It's like this, I feel so much better doing this. Well, for somebody who's already doing it, yes, it feels like that. But for
0: somebody who's at the other side of it and it's only just beginning, for them they don't have that frame of reference. It's almost like if we knew better, we would do better, but we don't even know what better is Mm -hmm. for a lot of the case because we've been so habituated in our behaviour and so habituated in what we've been doing that we've lost all frame of reference of a new possibility. We don't even know what that looks like. So I think Kim's point in terms of do what makes you feel good now so that then that drives your behaviour is really important. And, you know, even coming back to that serotonin in the gut, you know, when you do something that makes you feel good about yourself now, it it makes, it almost wakes up that serotonin and allows it to function through the body in a beautiful way. Whereas if we're bashing ourselves up about the fact that we didn't get it right or we made a mistake or we weren't consistent, then that just... Puts us back to square one where we're still then addicted to the payoff of I'm not really good enough in
1: social situations, I need my cigarettes. Mm. And and, you know, sometimes it is painful for people to do a new habit. Some people think that it's hard to go for a walk, or it's hard to get out there and exercise, or it's hard to change their eating habits. But what I found is the pain of doing something new and different but better for you is much better than the pain of regret of not doing it in the first place. Exactly
0: yeah I just I just had a quick idea and I know that we need to we need to keep moving on this. I just had a really uh, instant idea there. you know there's something that's really crucial for people who don't have a frame of reference of what's possible, and that is modeling mm. when you know um, I look at you for argument's sake, Kim, and like I said, I want to be you when I grow up <laughs> um, it would be like me modeling you in the context of I don't know any other way than what I know so in order for me to position myself the way that I want to be positioned, I need to look at what Kim does, how she does it and who she is and try and model myself on that because that then gives me a frame of reference that I can't have.
1: On my own, I'm doing order, it by myself. An extraordinary point. I'm, I, I'm really humbled and very touched that you say what you say. <laughs> but it's me looking at other people that I've modelled off their behaviour in order to be the person that you're talking about wanting to become. And therein lies the ripple effect. Mm. Mm. Simply by us being our
0: best version of ourselves, we then are able to create a ripple effect for others. And I think, you know, especially for parents, I think it's even more important that we really nail and kick these habits, mm. and we really get the power of our habits because it's not just about us you know we are all intertwined and we're all interconnected
2: because our kids are watching Mm. us totally and they see what we do and you know, and if we create bad habits in our own lives, we're going to create them in our, our children's lives. So let's go to well, we, number two. Yeah, number two. Number two. Let's, you know, I, I think it's
1: really important that we choose something every day. We choose every day to make each day a new day. Look, let's face it, we fall off the wagon. Let's face it, some days there's a social function, especially if we're coming up to Christmas or a birthday day or some um, social interaction. So if we fall off the wagon, one thing I do for myself, and this is truly here and now you know if i've eaten something i know i shouldn't have eaten i'm not going to sit there going oh god i shouldn't have eaten that I oh just god. keep eating and eating and eating, and <laughs> eating it. no i tell you one thing i do every day every day ha- and have done this for many years now is i changed a new frame around this is that you know what i want to eat that chocolate tart with the ice cream and i want to have the flake on the top that's what i really want so, I'm going to eat it now and I'm going to have it and I'm going to enjoy it. Because subconsciously, I also say this, or consciously I say, my body assimilates and eliminates with ease. To me, I want to drop the guilt around having that because that then self sabotages the next time. I think I'll oh, stuff it. I've done it two days in a row now. What the heck? I'm no good. I can't do it. I'll be a fat fart for the rest of my life. You know, that is a way that we can talk about ourselves and that's the self sabotage that comes into it. So, I say to myself, not that I, I tend to look at it falling off the wagon now, just sometimes i I'll, I'll have something that I know isn't perhaps the best for me and that's okay because now and I think what you're saying before I have a framework for me that I probably live 90 95 percent of my life now in a very healthy habitual beautiful way so for me it's now only five percent so for those of us that 95 percent of the time perhaps isn't so great you gradually work yourself up and you choose today as your new day um you choose it to have getting it you, you, you know you want to do something new for me today so today I'm am going to go for my run. Every day without, I can promise you this, every day without fail for 26 years, I have never missed my daily body boost. I have never missed it for 26 years. And I made a commitment to myself 26 years ago that this was one habit. It took me 30 seconds every morning. I will embed for the rest of my life. The payoff and the reward of that is phenomenal because I give myself 30 seconds, even though I'm busy.
2: Mm. You know, you said something there, which is still number two as, as we're going through, is it? We often um, make a commitment to our girlfriends and all hell can be breaking through in the house and everything's going wrong. We never break that commitment to our girlfriends. If I say to you, Kim, yes, I'll be there for you. You know, the house can be burning down, I'll be there for you. Mm. But when we make a commitment to ourselves and the house is burning down, we do not keep our commitment to ourselves. Mm. And I think we're a bit more important than the girlfriend. I really do. And I just feel that we need to, when we make that commitment on that daily basis to ourselves, no matter if the house is burning down, we really need to, as you say, self-care is not indulgent. It's actually essential. So... I want people to realize that when they make a commitment to themselves, it's like making a commitment to their girlfriend. You won't break that. You will help them as best you can. But when you do break that commitment to yourself, your self-esteem, and that's what we've been talking about here, your self-esteem just goes down that little bit more. So it's really important that on a daily basis, if you make that commitment, you go right, I'm going to do it.
1: And it's not even so much that you're not going to be as good a girlfriend by not doing that. Mm -hmm. You, in fact, become a better girlfriend, a better wife, a better mother, a better nurturer, a better Mm -hmm. provider when you give to yourself first. And that's what I believe we're talking about here are habits that are positive habits that make you the best version of yourself Mm -hmm. in order to create that ripple effect amongst your friends, family, girlfriends. And then you become the model. And then that's why people come up to you saying, I want what you've got. (laughs) I want to do what you do. How do you do it? It. I don't know how we all do it. If I was really to analyze it here, all I know is we all make a commitment to ourselves each and every day to be the best possible version of ourselves. And on the days we're not and one of us has fallen off the wagon, that is when the beautiful support, mentoring, and role modeling and other people come in to help you up. You don't have to do this alone, but you do have to let people know you need the help or that yes. you want it. Yeah.
2: Can, I, can I move into your house for a couple of weeks? <laughs> Love you <too. laughs> You'll be running every day. I will be running every day. Well, now let's do number one. Yeah. Because, because I, I think yeah. Number one's really important, uh, and that is uh, to celebrate getting it right. So I, I want to tell you a story about a, a friend of mine who married someone who was addicted to illicit, um, illicit drugs. And he chose not to do drugs again. He did um, Drugs Anonymous, I think it was, or you know, just like Alcoholics Anonymous. So he did that and he made the decision not to do it again. Three months after he'd made that decision, he fell off the wagon. She was furious and she rang me up and she goes, I can't believe what he's doing. He's going. I said, Hang on. What's happened is he's just spent three months claim. Wow. Celebrate that. Point. Tell him how brilliant he is and just go, That's fine. Let's start again. Let's see if we can make it to three and a half months next time or four months or five months. You know, he's been clean for nearly two years. Oh, wow. It just gives me goosebumps. So celebrate. Don't get upset about the, you know, the fact that you've fallen off the wagon. Celebrate what you've done. You've gone 24 hours without, you know, a cigarette. cigarette, Or you've gone 24 hours without emotionally eating. Or you've gone, you know, people just don't realize that celebration is really important. Mm -hmm. And and when we celebrate, uh, we... everything changes it really does and we know that gratitude and celebration is one of the most important things that we we all do
0: Mm. yeah and i think i think in celebrating from a physiological perspective as well from celebrating it makes the body feel good and it gives you more of those feel-good hormones which is what you then become addicted to you know you then become addicted to that sense of achievement and that sense of productivity and that sense of i'm worthwhile you know I, i and i think that that's
1: you know, money can't buy that. I think that's really that's really what it's all about. And you know, we talked at the very beginning, I talked about butterflies in my stomach, feeling sick to the core about having to speak or do something. We also can have beautiful butterflies in our tummy when we feel good and that's perhaps the little shift is creating that, you know, when you get that excitement about seeing someone for the first time or you've just achieved something or you feel like those butterflies can be just beautiful butterflies too. So I think today has really been a gra- about creating great habits, brave Breaking the old, using support networks, but also getting some great role modelling and mentoring. If you can't do it on your own, because that's often the key.
2: And we'll put those five steps um, on our on our great uh, idea, yeah, on the Facebook page. Yeah, I think that's a great
1: idea.
0: I think because you know, it, 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 at least it gets people thinking differently mm. about their behaviours, and it gets people thinking differently about why they do what they do. And is it really serving them? Because I think it's time for us to clean up. It's time for us to clean up. It's time for us to be responsible for who we're being. You know, not just what we do and the results that we produce in our lives, but it's about who we're being as well. And I think that, you know, the beginning of everything magical occurs when we get a shift at who we're being about our cigarettes and who we're being about our habits that don't serve us, also the people in our lives. So, yeah, let's get them up on the website so that everybody can see them Um, and access them whenever they want to. Now, those um, five tips are going to be on the website um, at wellnesscouch.com and they're also going to be on the Facebook page. Now, you guys can post on the website at wellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Now, we really want to hear your feedback on today. Because we know that this is a fairly deep topic, and we know that there are lots of us out there who've got habits that are awesome and there are habits that don't serve us. Welcome to the human race. We are all the same. So please jump online, post your comments, post your feedback, and follow us on Facebook. We really want to hear what you've got to say. And also, if you've got any ideas of what you'd like for us to talk about on Up for a Chat, that's also the perfect place for you to post your comments and ideas. And we're accessing them daily, so don't think that they go missing. So thank you so much for joining us here. Um, Next week, feel free to join your professional reminders on Up for a Chat and be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. Thanks for having us. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.